Good morning, good morning. Um, if my voice gives out, it's because I've been sick for almost two weeks, and this is the best my voice has sounded. So b- bear with me, um, but I, I, I'm just trusting that God's going to do what he wants to do anyway, right? That's what he does. So I, I'm so thankful to be with you guys here today. Um, we've got an announcement already going into 2020. Uh, we really want you to get this on your calendar. February, uh, February 22nd, we have our annual love feast. If you're new around here, and I, I've said this before, it's not nearly as creepy as it sounds. Okay, so it is our, it's basically our family gathering where we come together and we talk about vision for the year. So vision for 2020, 2020 vision. Uh, We're going to hear all sorts of weird things like that all throughout 2020, aren't we? about perfect vision and, and hindsight, all that stuff. So just prepare for it. Uh, February 22nd from 9 to 11.30 a.m. will be our love feast. And we're going to have an epic brunch fest. That fell a little flatter than I wanted. Um, so who doesn't like food? Come on now. And who, who loves brunch? Hello. Hello. We're gonna, it's going to be awesome. And... Um, if you are going to be a part of that, we would love for you to RSVP early. We know that's hard for people, especially church people, to RSVP to things early, okay? But if you will uh, be a part of that, we would love to hear from you. RSVP to Hillary at edgeaurora.com. Hillary, raise your hand for people who are new around here. That's Hillary. Uh, she's the one who kind of keeps all of us together and on track and focused, and we're thankful for her. Um, guys, I, I do hope you had a great Christmas like uh, Mark just talked about. Um, throughout all of January, uh, really it's just going to be a few weeks, we're going to be ta- talking about stirrings, stirrings that are going on inside us, things that we believe as a teaching team God has put on our hearts just for now. Um, so the next couple of weeks after today, we'll be talking about different things. Each message is going to have a different point, um, but it's... Um, they are all things that we just believe God is, is putting on our hearts now for our community. So we just encourage you to be a part of that. Have you guys decided yet what you're going to call this year? Whether it's 2020 or 2020? 2020, is that what we're calling it? Okay, right? No, no, one, no one asked this in the 1900s. Like, like everyone's just like, no one was like, it's, you know, uh, 1999. No one said that. It was just 1999, obviously. So, okay, so we're going to agree on 2020. Um, how many of you guys feel like a new year is a little bit daunting? Anybody? A few of us are, are raising our hands. The rest are, are somewhere between coffee and asleep. Um, so who's excited for 2020? Okay, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's I'm so glad for that. Um, but for, for so many people, for, for a lot of people, going into a new year is challenging. And especially when you, you feel the pressure of a new decade, right? It's not just a new year, it's a new decade. Um, how many of you guys saw uh, recently that Vince Carter, you know, the basketball player, he has now played, he's the only NBA player to have ever played in four different decades, that's a lot of basketball, right? And the guy's still, he's just incredible. 
incredible. So decades are kind of strange because you, you, it feels like uh, there's significance to the change of a decade. It's not just a new year, but it's a, it's a new decade. And, and then, so we have to talk about things not just like New Year's resolutions, but then we have to talk about things like your, your five-year plan or your plan for the decade and all these life goals. And guys, if I'm being honest for me, I'm just trying to get, I'm just trying to get over the, the, all the things we did at Christmas, and then right before that, the things that we did at Thanksgiving, and then right before that, the things that we did at Halloween. It has literally been just one thing after another. And for my personality type, that can sometimes feel a little bit overwhelming. And, I, and then I enter into a new year, and I'm like, wait a second, I'm expected to do this again? Anybody else feel that way? It just gets a little bit overwhelming. Like, hey, can we have a little bit of a sabbatical from the things can we just rest just a little bit? Life is good and it's challenging and it's hard and it's blessed. And, and I feel like after all of these holiday seasons, I just come into a new year and sometimes I'm just overwhelmed and I just feel a little bit low. I've always been that way. It's just the way, for whatever, it's the way I'm wired. I come into a new year and yes, I can have a moment of looking at possibilities, but my natural inclination is to feel a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit heavy, a little bit like I'm not sure that I have it in me to keep going at the pace that, that we've been. And, and I've, I've sort of wondered, am I unique in that way? Is it just me? I, I read an article on psychcentral.com. Ch- check it out, look it up. And it said that 25% of people deal with seasonal depression after Christmas. 25%, one in four people will deal with seasonal depression uh, post-Christmas. So that made me feel like, okay, it's always good when someone else says me too, right? It's like, you're not the only one that feels that way. So I, I read that and I'm like, oh good, it's not just me that has that feeling. So I'm wondering if maybe some of you guys feel like that too. And why does that happen? We have to ask the question, why, where does that come from? Well, let's start with family. Can we just be honest? Sometimes we talk about family as if it's, it's the, the best thing ever, but can we just be real for a second? Can we be real? Family gatherings at the holidays, are those all great? We, we have vision for them to be great. We, and some of them are really great, but, but if, we're, if we're honest, every, it seems like all of the issues in our families, they just explode into this dysfunction canon at the holidays, right? If people can tuck it away at Valentine's Day, by Halloween, they're acting nuts, right? And, and then at Thanksgiving, oh, look out. And then Christmas, it's like the, the biggest explosion, and then people act out all their craziness New Year's Eve. Let's be real. This is just, this is what happens. Like, we have all these ideas about what life is going to be like, and, 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 and we get our families together, and we have these great expectations, which always puts a ton of pressure on us, right? There's a ton of pressure, and then things don't happen the way we planned, and we feel let down. Or maybe you guys had a relative that came in from out of town that you really care for. And you're just hoping that that person can hold their tongue this year. You're like, you know, last year it was really rough. Last year it was rough, but it's a new year. It's a new season. So they're coming in from out of town. And by the time they're done with their first eggnog, they've already said something that's completely insensitive to you. And you're like, this, it's done. I'm not doing Christmas anymore. It gets overwhelming 
when we have these huge expectations around these holiday seasons and they don't go the way that we think they should or they don't go the way that we see it going in other people's perfectly curated lives, right? We have endless gatherings and there's so much pressure to make it Instagram worthy, right? But they're not always that way. And then to add to it, or I should say maybe to take away from it, we hardly have time for exercise, right? It's like we, we get into this season of, of feasting and we think that because we're eating, we don't really have time for exercise and that makes everything worse. And then we don't sleep like we should and that our diet plans go out the window Halloween night and we don't even think about it again until January 1st. No vegetables in sight. And it's kind of the perfect storm. It's the perfect recipe for struggle. All these things. And it's pretty overwhelming. Guys, we had such great plans. My family had such great plans for Christmas. Um, uh, we're not like a whole lot of you guys. I, I don't know. Who, who here does not have family for the most part that lives in town? Okay. Like, like so many people. I feel like, first of all, we got a lot of people related in this church. Okay, let's, can we just be honest about that? Like a whole lot of you guys are related to a whole lot of other people in this church. Which means, by definition, that you often have family right in town that you can see. Even if you're sick, you're going to see your family. You can't use flu as an excuse when, you're, when you see your family every Sunday anyway, right? So it's not the case for my family. My mom lives in town, but the rest of our family lives kind of everywhere else, at least five hours away. So we had these great plans, and we always do this. Right after Christmas, we pack up our family, and we go to Southern Illinois to see Brandy's family, uh, which is an amazing family. And, and so we were going to leave the day after Christmas, except we kind of had a perfect storm of events. Perfect storm. So in the course of just a few days, one daughter got stomach flu that lasted about 36 hours. That was not fun for her. Um, I got this weird bronchitis, flu, uh, black death thing in my lungs. Um, I thought I'd have to be resuscitated a few nights ago, but I made it. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, then, my, then another daughter broke her wrist, so that was fun, on another daughter's gift, a ripstick. Um, don't use those. Those are very dangerous. So uh, I've got a daughter with a broken wrist, I had a daughter with 36-hour stomach flu. And then, then my wife had post-surgical complications one after another. So we had a perfect storm, a perfect storm for not being able to do what we thought we were going to do for Christmas. We had all these great plans, and they literally just got torpedoed. So we didn't go anywhere for Christmas. I'm still trying to overcome sickness. So we went nowhere. <laughs> and to be honest with you, it was a little bit depressing. It just was. And I wondered if anybody else here felt that way over the holidays. So here's the thing, guys. Over the last decade, mental health has been somewhat destigmatized. The subject of mental health has been somewhat destigmatized in the church. I'm thankful for that. But there still is a significant stigma that is attached to the subject of mental health. And I think it's for two main reasons. And there are these ideas that we get when we are in churches for, for any period of time. And here's the first idea that I believe, that, that we think, this is the story that we tell ourselves, that it makes me less of a Christian 
if I'm depressed. And it's not true, but it's the story that we tell ourselves. And we tell ourselves a whole lot of stories, and we need to address those things. But, let's, but first, before you can address it, you have to just acknowledge it, that some of us in the church world will tell ourselves that we are less of a Christian if we struggle with depression. Here's the other thing that we say, there is something wrong with my faith, or maybe I don't have real faith if I'm depressed. And, and we, we, get these, we, we get these ideas from a lot of different things, just like we, we get it from our family members. Family members will inadvertently say things like, well, have you prayed about it? Oh, I never thought of that. Oh, I never thought of that. I never thought about asking God for help. But here's the truth. There are some things, when it, there are some things related to stuff that we struggle with that guess what, guys? You can't just pray away. It just doesn't happen that way. Some, there are some things that are just struggles and it is just reality. It is, it is the reality of living, living in a fallen world and we sometimes experience those things. There are serious problems with those two thoughts. The first one, again, it makes me less of a Christian if I'm depressed and maybe there's something wrong with my faith or maybe I don't actually have a real faith that's stuck if I struggle with depression. There are serious problems with that. Here's why. Depression is a serious and debilitating problem and it is very real. And you cannot just wish it away. And you can't just snap out of it. And there are very well-meaning people particularly in the church, that say things like, well, I mean, are you, are you thinking about all the, the things that God tells you to think about? Because I don't know if you'd be depressed if you, if you thought about all the right things. And it's like, ah, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's that simple. Are, are you sure, like, are, are, are you sure you're not in sin because, like, God, you know, are you sure you're not doing something wrong because, it, you know, it seems like we're not supposed to be depressed. And no, you can't just snap out of it. There are many Christians who are depressed. And I believe they're in more danger than the average person. Because I think that so many Christians are scared to say that they're depressed. Because there's so many Christians that fear what their church friends or what their church might say to them if they come out and they say that they're depressed. Guys, this... This is a problem for the church. But the subject of depression, it's a big enough issue that we're going to talk about it today. I've talked with a number of you guys over the last several weeks, and I know that this is not just a struggle that, that I've wrestled with in my life, but I know that many of you have too. So because a lot of you guys have struggled with this, we're, gonna, we're going to address it. I've gone through two significant bouts of depression in my life. I mean, overwhelming depression where I didn't want to get out of bed. Overwhelming depression where I wondered if I could go on. And it's terrible. And, and sometimes depression is related to circumstances. That's the best kind of depression to have in my, in my, in my view because that's what I've had. It's the kind where circumstances are really hard for a significant period of time and, and you wrestle with that and then when, when circumstances eventually change, you start to pull out of that. I, that's the kind that I've had and I, and I hated that. There's also chemical imbalance kind of depression. So, so let's, let's take a look at this. Let's, let's dive right in. On September 9th, uh, the day before 
World Suicide Awareness Day. Uh, pastor, author, and mental health advocate Jared Wilson, he killed himself. He was 30 years old, and he left his wife and his two sons behind. He was very open about his struggle with depression, and he, he and his wife Julie started a nonprofit based on helping people come out of depression called Anthem of Hope. And it educated churches on how to assist congregations in their depressive periods. And one of his final tweets said this, Loving Jesus does not always cure suicidal thoughts. He killed himself about five hours after that tweet. And he left behind his wife and his two boys. Can that, can that be real? Can we be real about this too? This doesn't make sense to some of us. And I'll be honest, it scares me when I see pastors killing themselves. Not because I think that they're somehow more broken than me or that I couldn't possibly do. I'm never going to say I, I would never do something. That's a, hor that's a scary place to be because I'm telling you, when you say that I would never do something, I feel like you're almost inviting the devil to show you that you would. It's a scary place to be. I would never, ever say that. It makes sense to us. How can this happen to a pastor? And the reality is that Jared Wilson is not the only high-profile pastor to have killed himself in 2019. He's one of several that ended their lives. But some people think that pastors and their families aren't supposed to be depressed because we have prayer and we have the Bible and we have the Holy Spirit. And because we have all those things, we, we shouldn't struggle with things like depression. How, can we be thriving followers of Jesus and still deal with depression? Well, just like what we do as a church in all things, we're going straight to Scripture to look at some examples of people to see what Scripture has to say about it and what we can do about it. In the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, we see the prophet Elijah do some crazy exploits. Elijah must have been a really interesting person. Um, he did some brave and crazy things that only God could have led him to do. And at one point in 1 Kings 18, Elijah basically called this challenge to prove how big and how powerful the, the God of heaven and earth is. And he challenged the prophets of the other so-called God. We know, in, we know in hindsight that it wasn't a real God, but it was, the, it was a God that these other prophets, the prophets of Baal, called on. And he challenged them to a contest to see whose God was superior. And, and we know, re, read the whole story if you haven't, 1 Kings, uh, Kings 18. Um, we know that, that Elijah won the contest because the God of heaven and earth was on his side. And, and then he ended up having all of the false prophets of the other so-called gods killed. So Elijah had the respect and the fear of all of the people. As strange as it may sound, he was kind of at the top of his game. This was his mountaintop experience in the faith where he put all of his trust in God and God came through in a profound way and put to shame the, the, the false God and, and the false prophets. God demonstrated his power, but then something strange happened. How many of you guys know that you don't stay on the mountaintop for very long? If you're on the mountaintop, dance for a moment because you're about to go down the other side. That's just the nature of life. And, and this is what happened right after that. The story picks up in 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 7. 
And it says, now Ahab, who is the king, told Jezebel, who is the queen, everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Wow. So we have this uh, amazing prophet doing amazing things. He was fearless in the moment that, where he did what God told him to do. Absolutely fearless. And God acted like he acted. He was there. He did something that, that only God could do. He answered. The, the invisible became visible through the actions, through the miracle. There is no denying what happened. <laughs> and then suddenly he's terrified. He went from a mountaintop to the lowest low, the lowest valley. He was terrified because of a threat by a human on his life. Let's, let's be real for a second. If a king or a queen or a president or anybody threatens our lives, we're going to be fearful. It's not that we're more spiritual than, than, than Elijah was, but, but when you look at the whole story and you see how God answered in such a huge supernatural way, he was at, how did he go from such a high to such a low so quickly because of the threat of a queen? How did that happen? That's the same way that we do though, isn't it? We, we have success in our job. You, you got that big account finally. It's that thing you've been working for. You're the hero in the office. But you know this, you're only as good as your last pay period if you're in sales, right? You, you finally get that thing and then a coworker says something to you that's cutting and you go from that mountaintop to that real low, low again and it's like, how, did, how am I so imbalanced? How do I just get blown around by any wind that comes? I can take the blessing, but then I struggle with, with struggle. Then suddenly, as quick as your success came, circumstances kind of start coming around you again and suddenly you're looking at your circumstances and you're focused on the negatives and you got a nasty comment from your coworker and your kids aren't doing what you've told them to do for the 3,000th time and all of a sudden you're just like, God, just, just end me, God. I can't take anymore. And suddenly you don't remember anything about your successes and all you can see is trouble and struggle and failure. So for Elijah, did God then come through and say, don't worry, Elijah, I've got another great miracle for you? Well, no, he didn't. 
unless you think that a miracle is rest and eating a meal and then more rest and then eating another meal. Some of us don't slow down enough. Some of us are dealing with struggles and, and wrong thinking, not for a hugely spiritual reason. Sometimes it's because we just haven't taken care of ourselves enough to slow down a little bit and eat something that's healthy and rest and then get up and do it again. Sometimes it's the most spiritual thing you can do is relax. So basically the God of the universe, God, he says to this prophet that he just gave this great success to and then he sees him whimpering under a tree, crying and praying and begging for death because he just can't take it anymore. And he basically says to him, you need to relax. You're not seeing things clearly because you're tired and you're hungry. Your lens for life is a little bit off and it's giving you wrong perspective. You're going to see things differently when you eat something and then you wake up in the morning. How many of you guys can truly relate to that? I can. Man, when you are really hungry, that's, there, there is something, I've joked about this before, but there really is truth to it. That Snickers commercial about being hangry. They have, honestly, guys, that, there is a theology there that defines the human experience. It really does. You can literally be almost out of your mind, nuts, just, just, just off in your thinking. You're just like, nothing's working. I, my family's against me. My, my cars break down. Everything's wrong. I just want to die. And then you take a bite of food and you're like, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's really not. Maybe I overreacted a little bit. These tacos are delicious. <laughs> but we do that all the time. We just... Sometimes we just need to slow down and we need to take care of ourselves. We need to eat something. We need to get a little bit of rest and then we start to feel human again. But I think unfortunately in our faith communities, we don't often talk about the need to slow down and rest. There's a reason that God instituted a Sabbath and that's not for you to do churchy things. It's for rest. And you weren't created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for you. If you try to go hard all the time and you say things like, I'll rest when Jesus returns, you're not spiritual, you're prideful. You need to slow down, you need to rest, eat some good food, get some exercise, and your perspective might shift. But there's more to depression than just this kind, the kind where you need to take care of yourself more than a physical lack. Because a lot of times uh, we, we, we're depressed because we've been isolated from people for so long. How many, of you guys, how many of you guys know that when you've been isolated from people for a long time, you know that the thing that actually might bring you healing is the last thing you want to do because the more you're isolated from people, the less you have the desire to go out and be with people, right? No one, no one is a hermit for, a, for, for months on end and then, then suddenly gets this idea like, today is the day I'm going to get into community, because you get convinced more and more when you're away from community that you actually don't need it. And then you, you start playing sad songs. There's a reason why when we isolate ourselves, we start to connect with that melancholy nature and we feel like that's life-giving, right? But it's not. 
Sometimes we need to retreat and that's okay, but sometimes doesn't mean months on end without real human interaction. But when we remove ourselves from community, we start to think that the last thing we need is community when scripture shows us that it's really the opposite of that. Because what happens is when we get isolated, we start to get convinced that we are the only ones with our particular struggles. We're the only ones that feel that way. And the more alone we feel, the less we reach out to other people. And then we start to tell ourselves new stories. And they sound like this. No one, no one reached out to me. They must not notice me at church. I wasn't there Sunday and nobody even noticed. It probably means they, they only like me for what I do or what I give. Well, I thought they were close friends. I don't think they are. They would have reached out to me. This isn't taking the onus off of us to notice other people, but it is helping us see the reality is that we lie to ourselves and we tell ourselves stories that aren't always true. We tell ourselves things that make us darker and they make us insulate more and remove ourselves even more from community. Maybe that's you. If that's you, you're definitely going to relate to the prophet Jeremiah. He was given a truth from God that was a hard message. The prophets always had hard, they weren't, they weren't popular messages. He had a hard message and basically his, the overall gist of his message was, you better repent soon because there's impending doom. You better repent soon because you're going to be doomed if you don't. This was not a happy message. And the, the reality is we want to surround ourselves with happy messages, not sad messages. And when people give us sad messages, we want to get away from those people or yell at them to shut up. Isn't that true? And he was treated, Jeremiah was treated much like the Apostle Paul was when the Apostle Paul converted to Christianity from Judaism. He was attacked by his own family and from religious leaders of the day. And, and he was whipped and beaten. And it got overwhelming because persecution is overwhelming. Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. This is Jeremiah's prayer. Have you ever prayed a prayer? Here, here's the challenge. I want to ask you this. Have you ever prayed a prayer that's this raw? Oh Lord, you deceived me. I, I've heard people say that you can't, you can't say things like that in prayers because what faith is is just, just passively accepting the will of God. We, we can never question God because if you question God, you're, you're, you're prideful. Well, then Jeremiah was really prideful. And his words were recorded in scripture for us more than 2,000 years later. Oh Lord, you deceived me and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. When, where, whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word, is my, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. 
I hear many whispering, terror on every side. Report him. Let's report him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived. Then, then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. Have you ever felt this way before? Like you were the only one going through this horrible, hard season. It's like a hellish season. Jeremiah felt that. He felt like he was the only one. But the reality is, Jesus said that we will all go through hard times. We will all have trials and tribulations, but we act surprised, just like Jeremiah acted surprised. We're so surprised by it when it actually happens, just like Jesus said. There's a good chance that you aren't the only one in your situation. There's a good chance of it. But you may feel very isolated. Let me tell you this. I don't have every answer to your particular issue. Only the Lord knows what you're going through and he has the right answer for you. But I do know this, that if you've been in isolation and you feel isolated and alone and like you're the only one, I want to encourage you this year to do something different than what you've done because if you want something new, you have to do something different than what you've done. If you've been isolated, don't stay in isolation and somehow think you're going to feel together. You have to step out of isolation and it's risky because maybe people, maybe not everyone will like you. Breaking news, not everyone likes anyone. That's just, that's just true. But there is a risk that's involved in stepping out of isolation. But I'm telling you, take the risk. And in 2020, if you have been isolated and you, are, you, you can relate to the idea that you're hearing stories in your head, the stories that you tell yourself, maybe start to unpack that with a few people that you can trust and figure out where that story came from because you can take away the power of the lies of those stories that you tell yourself, not alone, but you can in a community that is centered on loving Jesus. A great way to do that truly is in our community groups. We have a lot of community groups and, and they meet ev- like almost every day of the week. We have a group that meets that you can get connected in. And I'm telling you, there will be days where you don't want to go. And that's normal and that's okay. But almost every time that you, you dare to go, you're like, you know what? I'm tired. I don't feel like it. There will always be a reason that you don't feel like going to something that gives you life. But if you go, you're going to find something there. And if you've been in isolation for a while, you just need to be around people. That's how we're made. We're not made to do this life alone. Connect in a community group. Talk to Steve, Pastor Steve, or talk to me, and we'll help you get connected in a a community group in 2020. Come out of isolation and find life. Yes, Christians can be depressed. Yes, pastors can commit suicide. And it's so sad. It's so sad. Don't try to do it alone. Depression can be caused by physical issues. Depression can be caused by um, feelings of being isolated. I know some of you here who need to respond. And maybe you're starting to think about resolutions or maybe you've already broken the resolutions that you made a few days ago. But I want to encourage some of you 
Some of you haven't taken care of yourself in a long time. And you feel bad and you're not sleeping well and you're eating garbage and you're drinking too much alcohol. And some of you need to say, I need to slow down on that stuff and I need to take care of these physical things and I need to rest well. And that's what's going to help me get kind of reset for 2020. And some of you guys need to come out of isolation. You need to dare to come out of the isolation. You went, in, you, you went into a cave for a reason and maybe you needed to do that for a season and maybe you did that because you've been hurt by people before and you've decided that you're gonna isolate yourself and, and the way you're gonna, you're, you're gonna self-protect enough so that nobody can do that to you again and you can do that but you will never find healing in life all by yourself. There's a reason that people go crazy in solitary confinement. Because we cannot live in our own echo chamber for very long and do it well. Come out of isolation. And there's some of you who need to take that next step. You're doing, all, you're doing both of those things as well as you can, but you know that you need something more and there's no shame in that. Make the choice to have medical intervention or counseling. And if you're not sure of where to turn, you can talk to Pastor Steve or talk to me and we will help you take those steps. There should be no one here who feel, feels so alone, so isolated that they can't reach out for help. We are not a church that, that, that has a stigma on the issue of mental health. If it's ever been, we want to, we want to get rid of that as fast as we possibly can so that everyone feels safe to reach out for the help that they need. Does not sound like a good start to 2020. We can do that. This, this is hopeful. God has more for you than what you received in 2019. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You woke up and you have breath in your lungs. There should be hope. There should be purpose. Help, let, let us help you take steps into this new year with new purpose. I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to move into a time of reflection and interaction. Don't be scared about the interaction part. What we're going to do right now is focus on joy. We're going to focus on joy. You guys have heard this before, but joy is, it's different than happiness. I think there's, there are elements that, that, that coexist, but it's different than happiness. Happiness is all about a, a good thing that you're experiencing in a moment. It's that mountaintop experience, but remember, you always have, there's always a downside. You can't stay on the mountain for too long. You can be happy now, ang angry later, and sad after that. It's all about circumstances. But joy has an element of perspective that's informed by our faith in the God who is unseen. That when all hell breaks loose in our lives, when we've been isolated, when we've eaten all the wrong things and we're doing it all wrong, we can still hold an element of joy because God is the one who doesn't change. He's the one who said, I will not let you go. No one can, can take you out of my hand. There is nothing that can separate you from my love. No matter what you've done or what you'll do or what someone else has done or what someone else will do, no one can take you away from me. There's something grounding and, and, and consequential in that. So we're going to focus on joy. And we're going to look at three passages of Scripture today. And they're going to be up on the screen in just a second. 
we're going to look at one after another. The first one is Philippians chapter 4, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. I'd love to read it together. I really want to internalize this because we skim over things when we just look up at the screen. Oh, I know this one. I already know this. Can we read it together? In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So here is, here, here is the point that I felt like we needed to reflect on. No matter what is happening in your life, if you're a Christian, God is doing work in you and he will complete it. Someone here needs to hear that today because you don't understand what's happening in your circumstances. You're wrestling with the way life is going. It doesn't make any sense, but you need to know this, that no matter what is happening in your life, as a Christian, we have the promise that the God who started it is the God who will complete it. So here's the thing that I want you to write down in your notes. Take notes in your phone or write down on paper. Maybe you feel the need to share this with someone that you're close to sitting. You can, you can talk during this time too. But take, take the next couple of minutes and really answer this question. What is God doing in life, even if it's difficult? What is he doing in your life, even if it's difficult? Just take a minute and then we'll go to the next passage. Our next passage is John 15, verses 4 and 5. Let's read it again together. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The reflection that I wrote is very simple because it speaks to obedience. And it's just this, ignoring God's instruction leads to less joy. And this is the part to process right now. What area of your life do you just know? You know. You don't have to wonder. You just know. God is calling you to a greater level of obedience. Might be an issue of sin. Might be an issue of giving. Might be an issue of your attitude. But what area of your life is God calling you to a greater level of obedience? The last two verses are Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Let's read it again. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, 
what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So reflect on the idea that none of your struggles is wasted. None. Not one struggle you have is wasted. And this is one that I want to encourage you to share with somebody today. You don't have to, but I'd really encourage you to share this because this is a faith step. I want you to share one pain point in your life that you want to see God redeem this year. One pain point in your life that you want to see God redeem this year. If God just said to you today in your struggle, what is that thing what is that thing that, that you, if, if he would answer any prayer regarding something that you're struggling with, what, what's the one thing that you want to see him redeem this year? Write it down, and if you have the guts to do it, if you have the desire to do it, share it with somebody near you. Every 10 years, we get the chance to start a new decade, and that's exciting and kind of scary. But the truth is, if you don't have God's perspective on your life, it doesn't matter what vision you come up with for yourself. If you're not aligned with the one who made you, if you're not aligned with the one who died for your sins, you can come up with stuff all day long, and ultimately it has no it has no, no benefit. If you want to start this decade as a new person, maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus before and you're not sure how to do that, we never ever want to leave here with anybody wondering how to get on that path. It sounds simple in the Bible, but it takes some guts to do it because it takes humility. But in Acts 2, 38 and 39, it tells us exactly how to do it. The Apostle Peter says to people of all times, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Some of us think that that might not be for us, that somebody else can be forgiven, but not us. The passage goes on, it says, The promise is for you and your children and all who are far, far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. There is nothing better that you can do for your life than to say yes to Jesus, no to sin and no to your own way, and start this decade off brand new. He promises that if you do that, you are a brand new creation now. You can be made new right now. No matter what you've done, no matter what you'll do, no matter what you once believed, when you surrender to him, you can be made new today. And you can know this, nothing can separate you from his love. Can we stand and pray? Father, we give thanks for 
the grace of a new decade. Lord, I pray that you would develop us in a way that brings honor to your name. I pray that you would make us a gracious people. Father, I pray that you would make us a people that fights for the things that you fight for. And I pray that you'd make us a people that lay down our lives so that others might know you. Father, I pray for the depressed right now. God, I pray that, that each person here who's depressed would just get an encouragement, a nudge, a call from someone that they need to talk to. Just a re, uh, just like a, a lift in their spirit. Whatever that they need, they would get from you today, Lord. Whatever it is. Father, for people who have been scared to enter into community, I pray that this would be the day that they dare to reach out, reach out their hand to, a, to another person and be a friend. Father, I pray that you would move in our church community, God, that you would do greater things in 2020 than you did in 2019. God, help us to be surrendered to your way because you are our creator. You are the author of all of these things. You're the author of our faith. You're the author of our lives. And I pray, God, that we would just surrender to the author and, and allow you to write a beautiful story. God, in the dark times when we slide off of that mountain, I pray that we would dare to believe that you are doing something in us, that nothing is wasted in our lives. Lord, help us not to be in denial about struggles, but to be truthful about our struggles. And in our weakness, invite your strength. Father, we, we bless your name and we ask for your blessing on this church. Father, I pray that in 2020 and beyond, God, this would be a church that proclaims your name in word and in deed. I pray for more people to find hope here at the edge. And I pray that we would be hope in our neighborhood and at work and in our schools. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And the church said, amen. <laughs>